If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. On today's episode of the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, we're diving into the world of nonprofit digital marketing with none other than Noah Barnett. Noah is the Vice President of Marketing at Feather, a digital marketing platform built to help nonprofits create more engaging digital experiences and expand your impact. Over 1,500 mission-based and membership-based organizations trust Feather to improve their reach, their results, and their return on investment. Previously, Noah spent over a decade in the nonprofit fundraising and marketing world in leadership roles, most recently as Chief Marketing Officer at Virtuous, and previously at CauseVox, World Help, HubSpot, and the Adventure Project. He knows firsthand the challenges nonprofits face and is passionate about equipping you with the resources and insights you need to rally people around your cause. Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tammy. I appreciate you hosting me and having this conversation. Glad to be here. Well, it's our pleasure. Noah, how do you answer the question, is our marketing working? Yeah, it's a question that I think is frequently unanswered or is answered with what I call uh, some would call vanity metrics. I just call them ing metrics, not marketing uh, metrics. And what I mean by ing metrics is like, well, our Facebook post is getting this and our email marketing is getting this. And, you know, our direct mail is doing this. Or our phone campaign is doing this. And really all you're reporting on is the ing part of marketing. And I think it's very important to me as an advocate for nonprofit marketing and someone who's actually made it like my personal mission, like my cause is helping to amplify the value of marketing and how it's mission critical to organizations is marketing starts with the markets. The activities are just to engage and cultivate connection with the market. And so the challenge with is our marketing working is we again tend to go to the activity level instead of saying, are we moving our market? to do the things we want them to do? Are we engaging the market to either volunteer or give crucial fundraising dollars? Are we engaging the segments of our audience that we're trying to drive to be beneficiaries of our impact? Like, how are we actually moving our market to action? And I think the challenge is, is that many marketers or people doing marketing are not reporting on the impact where we're just reporting on the channels. And that's two part. One is that we're operating on fumes as nonprofit leaders. And that was the number one trend we saw uh, in our state of nonprofit marketing report last year is that there's just not enough time to do everything. And so we really just opt to do nothing, everything, or a bunch of random things. And it's like, we're just hoping for the best. And I call that magic, not marketing, but it's, (laughs) it's sometimes what we have to do or Because marketing is typically dispersed across an organization and an array of tools, it actually is hard to know what is working because you're not seeing the full picture. 
you're just seeing whatever Facebook tells you or your email platform tells you, or well, it's doing this in the programs department and development's doing stuff over here in fundraising, but there's not this central kind of marketing platform, which Feather tries to solve for specifically, but also kind of having marketing have a strategic seat at the table. And so I think it is a challenging question for nonprofits to answer. I do think it requires a shift in mindset on what marketing really is and how it can impact your mission. I love that deep dive kind of answer. And it, to me, is very redolent of how a few years ago, and maybe still to some degree today, nonprofits, when it comes to mission impact, we really focused on outputs, how many children were served, how many this, how many that versus outcomes, you know, how were lives measurably changed? How has our community shifted? And to me, that's kind of what you're describing in the ing of, of marketing, like we're measuring Facebook likes or open rates and those kind of things, but not looking at the macro. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like you said on the program side, it's about lives changed or policy changed or mindsets changed, right? It's not about the letter you wrote to Congress or this, that, the, those are the means to the mission and the end. And so I think making sure we look at marketing's impact as mission critical and then reporting on that is, yeah. is essential. So absolutely agree. Noah, you mentioned a few of the unique challenges that nonprofits face in their marketing efforts, you know, maybe compared to other sectors like not enough time. So we end up doing either all the things to a a smaller extent or, or a couple of things, maybe to a deeper extent. What do you see as a, other unique challenges that the nonprofit sector faces when it comes to marketing? Yeah, there's a couple things. Some are controllables within an organization and just how the organization views marketing. So I'll touch on those. I think there are also some realities that we are marketing within that are outside of our control. We just need to be aware of them. So I'll start with the controllables first is that often inside an organization, marketing or communications is seen as a means to the mission. And marketers are seen as a supporting role to other departments, meaning we're kind of like order takers instead of what I see is needed as strategic leaders. And marketing strategy, which we've already touched on, is kind of seen as unreliable. We kind of buy into the old age axiom that 50% of our marketing is working. We just have no idea which ones. And so why measure, right? <laughs> And so I think some of the challenges there is that if we begin to pivot from marketing as a means to the mission, as marketing is mission critical, like us communicating with our supporters about critical work we're doing is educating and enabling your audience, your supporters to be engaged with the mission. Like that is actually part of the mission. Like you talking about your work, you communicating about the impact of that and enabling people to buy into that is not a means to the mission. It's actually part of it. And I think fundraisers and development professionals have also fought for this, where like fundraising isn't just the thing we do over here so the program people can mission deliver. It's like, no, it's all of this intricate dance. Like our organization is just a platform for people to come together to work on a cause that they care deeply about. It's yeah, not to, to get me. a bunch of people to give us money and then go work on stuff. It's a balancing act of kind of collaboration versus I think often we view fundraising specifically and marketing falls into this too as like a, an act of commerce. It's like we're selling something and then we go do something instead of seeing it as an act of collaboration. Yeah. I just feel like that's a mic drop moment, like marketing and fundraising 
is the mission alongside in collaboration with programs. Because how many times have we seen when economic times get a little tough, when we have to kind of look at where do we cut, marketing and fundraising are almost always the first areas to get chopped. Yeah. And then we wonder why we have like terrible retention rates. And I've been doing this for almost 20 years now and they haven't changed. Like we talk about a lot. It's a very well socialized issue, but we really haven't come up with ways to solve it because I think uh, often we jump to the tactical side, which then just gets us to raise more money from less people, which is kind of the reality that we're operating now versus changing kind of the strategic lens to say, hey, marketing and fundraising or just communications in general, let's not even put a label on it. But that's engaging our community with the work and the mission and having collaboration with them to drive towards a change that we're trying to make in the world is the work. And we can't unfund that. Like if we unfund that, what are we doing? I think that's the first, you're talking about challenges with marketing. And I think moving from this mindset of marketing is a means to the mission to marketing is mission critical changes kind of where marketing sits within an organization, not even structurally, but as a consideration. I think the second change, as I mentioned, is marketers are typically seen as like order takers. So it's like, well, development team, what do you need? Oh, we're doing an event. I can really cool design something or like programs. You need to send out some like collateral or whatever. That's what marketing is. And so marketers have this like position where we're just like taking orders. We're trying to help other people, but we really don't have like ownership in the game. And I think if we pivot and say, no, like marketing is mission critical, marketers should have a strategic seat at the table. So when we're having conversations within our organization about how are we going to drive growth, like marketing needs to be a part of those conversations just as much as development staff, advancement staff, fundraising people, just as much as the program staff. We can't disconnect growth from programs. We can't disconnect growth from fundraising. Marketing needs a seat at that table too. And so I think creating, if I'm a leader listening to this right now and saying, how do I make this pivot? and lean into the power marketing can bring to my work. It's like bring marketing into the conversation earlier. It should be a strategic leader, not a supporting actor. Mm. And I think the third thing is, is that you have to look at marketing through the lens of, as we kicked off this conversation, as mobilizing the market to do something. And it's not about what we're doing on Facebook or what we're doing on direct mail. We silo these conversations and then pin them against each other to be like, oh, should we take direct mail money and put it into our digital program, because I guess everyone's online now. And it's like, no, we need to look at our audience first and the people we're trying to engage. Let's say it's current donors that gave to us in 2023. What are we going to do collectively as an organization to reinforce care for the cause within this group? Continue to build confidence that we're the right organization to partner with on that cause? And three, how we're going to cultivate community amongst our supporters so that they see that they're coming together to make this impact. I call this like the three C's approach, which is like, you're always trying to reinforce care for the cause, build confidence and cultivate connection amongst your supporters. And we should be looking at that first and then say, okay, now what are the best channels to use to accomplish that? Now, what are the best content to use? Now that forms a campaign. Now we can think about, well, what is this campaign trying to drive? Whether it's an event attendee, a video view, if it's making a donation or becoming a monthly giver, whatever the action is. But it starts with like, what do we know and understand about this community? And then we can design campaigns that are channels and content and drive towards action. So those are some of the internal things that I want to talk about that like are challenges, but we have control over those. And it's a view of marketing and its impact 
there are a bunch of external factors that are challenging, like competition for attention, rising cost of attention associated with that, meaning like ads are going up, mail's going up, like inboxes are more crowded, like all of those things are reality. And we need to be aware of those things. But I think first and foremost, it starts with coming back internally and saying, who are we trying to engage? What do we understand about our community? How do we increase relevance and drive that impact? I think internal challenges are the ones you should focus on because they're the ones you can control. Instead of being like, well, Facebook's not working anymore, the inbox is crowded, or Google changed their rules again, or AI is changing the whole world, whatever it is, it's like, that might all be true. But like, what are you doing inside your organization to cultivate connection with your audience, reinforce care for the cause, and build confidence that you're the right organization to drive forward? All of that remains first principles. We're just operating in a reality that continues to change. Yeah. So the three C's, so important. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it really is a great segue into the next conversation I wanted to have with you, and that's about donor retention and loyalty, that connection, caring, inspiring the confidence amongst our supporters. And it's clear one size does not fit all, to your point. Understand those audiences and all the dynamics, their passions, their interests, what channels they like to consume information in and, and what channels they like to give gifts in or all the different preferences. When it comes to donor retention and loyalty, it remains a really big challenge for the sector. So understanding our donors' interests and motivations and customizing our engagement with them based on that understanding, just as you were saying, has never been more important. Talk to us about how can we effectively assess the interests, the preferred communication channels, all those important nuances of our different donor segments and different generations and, and so on. How do we effectively do that? Yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge. And I think there's the practical side, which I think is a strategy thing. And then there's the technical side. I'll speak to the technical side first, because I think it's the more boring side, but it's really important, is that we have to have the right technology or platforms in place to actually be able to do anything with these preferences that we might gather. So we might even know that like, Tammy, you love dogs and I love cats, right? But if your organization isn't equipped to do anything with that information, even if you had it, it's very problematic. And so the thing I would say first is there's a technical assessment on your systems to say in this new reality where we want to have conversations that are responsive with our community, and that means personalized, that means making sure we're talking to the right people at the right time with the right message and the right ask, we're considering relevancy instead of reach. It starts with your systems in place. So how are you managing that data? And how are you then activating that data through your technology? And so you know, I'm biased. I work at a nonprofit technology company. This is one thing we talk a lot about is that how do we actually turn data collection and data management into more effective engagement with your audience? So if you know that Tammy is a dog person, why are we showing her cat ads on Facebook? You know, like we should be showing you dog ads. But again, if you don't have the technology infrastructure to leverage that data, even if you have it, it's going to be very difficult. So I think looking at your technology and saying, is our data distributed in a way and disconnected that we actually can't personalize or have a conversation with our audience? So it starts with your marketing platform, also looks at how does your CRM or your donor management data feed into your marketing programs so that you can actually personalize your campaigns. So that's the first thing, which is technical. It's not as exciting. It's kind of boring. If we do the right things, which is we're actually listening for these types of signals and we're asking for them, we have to be able to do something with it. So check your systems, make sure they're connected, 
consider where there are disconnections that you really need to bring in a unified approach to and then get buy-in on that it matters, not because you just need new technology, but because you're trying to have better conversations with your supporters. The more strategic one that's detached from technology is uh, twofold. One is that we just need to do a better job of bringing the data we already have on our supporters into the conversation when we're talking about building campaigns. So what I mean by that is something super simple. One is that we have a lot of interest data on our supporters. You should know which of your supporters gave to the child advocacy program versus the child policy program last year you know, or the year before. You should know through activities and interest what they're engaging with. We also know that when we send emails out or we have events, we know which of our supporters are engaged with those and which are not. And so there's a lot of interest-based signals that we can begin to inform our segmentation that we should be thinking about. Like, what do you already know about your supporters that you're not pulling into your segmentation model because you are only segmenting around the relationship you have with the supporters where we say like, oh, these are new donors. These are legacy donors. These are major donors. None of your donors call themselves that. Yeah. Or at least I hope they did. Like, I don't call myself a major donor or a legacy donor or a millennial donor or whatever. Like, I say I support this cause because of, and I show that support through engagement through these things. So there's a lot of interest signals that we need to take into consideration. The other one that I was going to touch on is on timing. And so we get a lot of data from our community about what the right time for engagement is that we often neglect when we think about marketing. So for example, if you visited my organization's website yesterday, Tammy, and I wait till February 21st, because that's when we send our email newsletter to send you an email, those are disconnected. Like my listening to you of like, hey, I saw that Tammy visited our website yesterday because I have good tracking in place, good tools. That's the tool side. Now I'm going to send Tammy an email on February 21st, which is like 20 days later. Yeah, I've like for, we're, forgotten we're I was even on your web. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Another case in point, we send out an email to you and, and we don't even know it's you yet, but we send a, a fundraising appeal that has a beautiful video and we're inviting you to support our spring campaign. Half the people don't open the email. Another half open the email and don't engage with it. And then another half of that half clicks on the email, goes to the website, watches the video and then doesn't take action. You report out the next day, hey, we raised $300 from the email we sent yesterday. But you also just gained insight into the timing and consideration now of the audience across four or five different vectors. So you have people that visit the website and watch the video, but didn't engage. I should communicate now with that audience in a different way because it's like they came into our store and they didn't buy anything today, but they left. And then you usually group those people into the didn't respond to the campaign. And now we're trying to educate them about the campaign. They were in your store yesterday. You should communicate differently on there. So again, like there's interest signals and data that we can listen to and bring that more into our campaign segmentation and even like what content we should send. Cat people, dog people is the simplest way to, to look at that. There's also then timing people just because someone didn't take the action you wanted, which was making a donation, doesn't mean they didn't express other timing intent by visiting your website, watching the video. And so how do we incorporate more of this timing intent data and interest data into how we think about designing campaigns is a key way that we're going to increase the relevancy of our campaigns to our supporters, which really is like queen of the hill right now in marketing. It's all about relevancy. We, we live in this like attention 
economy, you know, the things with the most attention are the most valuable companies in the world. If you really look at the kind of model of how this works, like Amazon is huge and it's like, well, because we all buy stuff from Amazon, but it's like Amazon has captured and retained all of our attention that now they have like 50 to 60% of like the American wallet share, right? Like it's nuts, but it's all about attention first, then mobilizing that attention into some sort of revenue, basically. And so I think when we think about how we should view marketing in 2024, especially in the midst of all of the challenges that are array, is we have to really focus deeply on relevance. And that comes down to what you mentioned, which is like, how are we incorporating what we know about the community into how we communicate with the community? And how do we make sure that we're having a conversation that feels collaborative with our community versus just trying to drive conversions? That's where I would encourage people. And there's a lot of complexity to that, but it really comes down to like, we want to have a collaborative conversation with our community versus we want to drive conversions and how your organization views which side of this you're on, your success will follow, in my opinion. Yeah. At the end of the day, it really boils down to, are you driving for a transaction? It's the only thing you really care about is the next gift. And everything is oriented to our timing, our process, the way we do things in order to compel someone to make a gift. Or are we really getting into their world? And as you said, having that collaborative relationship, a partnership where we're asking them what they think and then we're applying those insights. So it feels so personal. It feels so connected and it really feels like they care about me, not just because I'm a supporter or potential financial supporter, but they care about me because we have these shared values. We love dogs. We care about dogs that are abused. We care about the storm that affected animals. We care about abuse and neglect or cats or fill in your favorite animal, right? Children, the environment, whatever your favorite policy is, all of those things. Yeah, it's all similar. It's that care for the cause and you're reinforcing them. And also, again, I'll go back to the C's, but building confidence that your organization is the right one to collaborate with to work on that cause. Yeah. Because they have to both be aligned to the cause, which is something I think you can educate, but you're really just activating people that care about that. And I love the word activate versus like acquire or convert because activation assumes innate potential and you're activating it through your communication because you shared the story about the kids that are impacted by the war in Ukraine or the devastation to the environment or whatever the policy impact is on the community and people that's uncertain and no one's talking about it. You can activate that, but like that care is, I believe is like innate in causes we care about. Like I have an affinity towards causes that are likely different than your affinity. So we have to activate that. First and foremost, you have to activate and reinforce care for the cause, but then they have to continually choose you. And this is often, I think, where If we don't take a collaborative approach, we're always trying to reconvince our audience to give to us versus inviting them in to be a part of the work we're doing. And then basically by default choosing you because they're a part of something and they feel that connectivity, not only care for the cause, but connectivity to the community that is your organization is cultivating to drive change on whatever the cause issue is. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction that we sometimes don't maximize that value of being part of community. We think about our donors, like that's my donor. My donors do this. My donors do that. I want my donors to do this next thing. And from their perspective, this is my cause, right? 
but it could be, it could be, let's just say that I'm all about youth mentoring. Well, there's loads of amazing organizations that do youth mentoring. Why are you the one? And sometimes the answer to that is the community that you've curated, the community that that donor feels like they really, truly belong to. And because I think there's a couple of dynamics to that that are so important. Number one, of course, if they feel like they belong in that community, they're more likely to stay in that community. But it also, because of the high rate of turnover we have with fundraisers, right, the face of the donor relationship so often, that's a risk. So when my development professional leaves, that's a risk moment. Like, oh, like Tammy was the children's center to me. Do I look at other options? Versus I am part of this community. Tammy was one member, but there's all these other people that I feel connected to in this cause, my community. And I think that that's something that we haven't maximized the value of because we're so myopic, us and our and our donor. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to like how I view an organization or a nonprofit is that it's a group of people coming together to work on a cause that they care about. Now, some people might be staff at that organization. Some might be big donors to that organization. Might, some might be new donors to that organization. Some might be on their last legacy because they're saying, hey, like I'm going to move on to a different cause. And they're on the fringe. They're about to leave this community. But at the end of the day, it's just a group of people coming together to work on a cause collectively. And I think if you don't view it that way, if you view it as we have funders and we have work to do, and I am an employee of this company, and that's the relationship, like we have designated roles and like we're siloing these as part of how we think and then how we operationalize our communication strategy or our, our fundraising or marketing strategy. Those are the challenges that then I think move us into having these rows and columns conversations, like I call them, which is like, okay, I have a donor, Tammy, she's a 72 and like where she gave this much last year, I need to give her 20% more. And like, that's my goal. I'm going to lose probably five or 10 of these people on this spreadsheet. Again, we start getting into rows and columns. We start getting into dollars and cents and that's it. And we miss the humanity of it. it's like, I, Noah and you, Tammy are coming together to work on this cause. Now I might work for the organization. You might be a donor to the organization, but like ultimately it's like people coming together to work on a cause collectively. Noah, with the rise of digital platforms and really rapidly evolving technology like artificial intelligence, what trends do you anticipate shaping the future of digital marketing? There's a few things. First and foremost, I'll touch on what hasn't changed because I think sometimes that's the best thing to share when people ask you about how is the future of marketing changing. Or I think what hasn't changed is the core channels are still the core channels. So offline connection points, whether that's one-to-one -one or one-to-many at events, very important to your organization to stay connected. Direct mail is still a very powerful way to stay connected with your audience. So even if there's all these new things like TikTok and YouTube advertising and a bunch of like Uber advertising, like there's a bunch of stuff out there, right? Like it's all good and great. But at the end of the day, there's still some core channels that just like are still bread and butter and you should stay consistent with those first and foremost before exploring like new trends. But things like direct mail, things like phone, things like email 
are still the number one channels that you should be relying on and building the foundation. Let me back up a little bit. I think the reason they're still true and right is because they are the most intimate channels. So even though like when I send an email out to my whole email list, I'm sending it maybe to 10,000 people, but someone is consuming it. Like if they actually engage that, like it is a one-to-one experience. When you receive a phone call or even a text message, or you get a letter in the mail, I'm opening this letter and there's an intimacy to it that I think remains true and continues to stay true. And so if you're looking at all these future things, I would say that they should be complementary to your foundational channels and communications that you have. So first and foremost, what hasn't changed is the core channels are still the core channels. One thing I think that has changed a lot, and it hasn't showed up in the headlines, but I think there's undertones to it, is we had a migration, let's say at the beginning, like maybe 2010, from what I would call the public square to the personalized square. What I mean by that is for a long time, we had broadcast media, we could do newspapers, we could do uh, TV, there was core channels, like everyone was kind of consuming information from the public square. We then moved into the internet age and social media where we moved into the personalized square, where like my square might look differently than you. And we get this polarizing feeds and like all of this other conversation that's been going on. I think as the rise of things like AI, the increased competition for attention, we continue to fracture into these micro communities. What I'm observing, and I see this in my own life as well, is that more people are moving to the private square. And what I mean by this is that they're going to things like text message groups, They're going to private communities. Like I was a part of one this morning for B2B marketing leaders. And like, there's 300 of us on a call and like, we're on a Slack group, but like no one has access to that group to like break in or to infiltrate or to interrupt. Like you have to earn your right to be a part of that group. And so an advertiser can't just come in and say, I want to buy placement in that community. Whereas you can do that on LinkedIn or Facebook, or I can rent attention in the personalized square. So as we move more into the private square where we're spending more time connecting with others, getting feedback, learning about new products, learning about new causes, even like curated news of saying, well, hey, we're a peer generated group that cares about children impacted by the Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine. We're moving more into these private squares. And so I think what that means for nonprofits is that you have to earn your right to get into private squares you can't rent your way in or buy your way in. And so what that means is that your current loyal supporters, the people that care mostly about your organization, are in some ways your biggest asset to reaching your next best donors because they're the ones that are going to bring you into those private conversations. They're going to be the ones that bring you into their women in leadership networking group. And that's where they talk about how they're living out their legacy and building community. And one of that is giving to your organization. It's also what they're going to bring into their private conversations with their friends on a Friday night. And so I think this kind of move here is that earned attention is almost the most valuable attention that we have going forward because of the shift in how communication and conversations happen. And I think we're retreating to the private square for a lot of different reasons. But I think some of the trends you mentioned, like AI and, and fake news and like polarizing conversations on personalized square. Most of the personalized squares are over monetized. So they're selling all of your attention to any one who's the highest bidder. And we're like, hey, no, we're going to take back agency and we're going to go back in and create our own communities because technology has enabled us to connect with like minded people in a way that we still own our agency in that environment. We don't need to go to Meta to connect with others. Like I can create a private community this afternoon and invite my 12 friends into a conversation where we're going to talk about a hard issue like 
child advocacy in underserved communities in the US, whatever it is, like that's where I'm going to go. And so I think nonprofits need to realize the practical side of it is that earned media or kind of earned access is more important. So what that does is it makes you prioritize your current loyal supporters more. Like if you have someone's attention and they're giving to you, you better deeply figure out how to steward that well. If you treat someone like a transaction, they're going to treat you like a transaction. Yeah. And so you really have to steward that. So this is the practical side of like, okay, how do I turn inward and say, what do I do about this? It's like the people that are giving to you, you need to care deeply about them. Like you probably need to give them even more attention than you've ever done before and like seek to have relevant conversational, collaborative conversations with them. I think the other thing is that brand and story and even like point of view is even more important than ever. Whereas in the personalized square, like growth hacks and marketing optimizations and like SEO and like all of these other things were really important. You could almost like tactically optimize your way to growth. Like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to optimize this button and I'm going to change the page and I'm going to do all this stuff. We were in this very like tactical marketing world where like almost whoever was the best tactically was probably raising more and more money. Whereas I think going forward as earned attention is more important is like brand, your point of view, what you believe, who you're for and what you're not for and being loud and kind of proud about that. Almost going back to like the 60s when like brand marketing was the biggest marketing trend. Like I think we're going back to an age where like brand marketing and like you investing in your story, what your organization believes is going to be the thing that drives growth most for your organization. I was talking to the CMO at UNICEF USA about this. And she said when she stepped into her role, they felt like they were kind of this like old, like legacy household name. Like everyone knows UNICEF or they have some version of UNICEF, like whether it was the coin collection or like, oh, it was like my elders or my grandparents organization, or it's like the organization I think helps everyone but they had kind of lost their way in distinction. And so what she spent a lot of time with her team coming in, even as a big organization like UNICEF is like, who are we for? What do we stand for? What do we want to be known for? And how do we communicate that as loud and proud as possible? Not how do we optimize our Facebook campaigns or how do we optimize this, that, and the other? Like we need to stand for something. And I think that's the right response in this kind of like changing landscape we're going. And again, my oversummarization of this is we're moving from the personalized square to the private square and you have to earn your right into the private square. You can't buy it and you can't rent it. And it's really built on trust. And part of that trust to your point, Noah, is being really clear. This is who we are. Here's what we stand for. And that in and of itself, I think through leadership and through making big, hairy, audacious goals and like putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what we are about. Here's what we aim to achieve by when. And we're looking for those who are with us to join. Like there's an invitation, join us. And I think that that kind of transparency and big thinking is like a magnet to people who really want to be those needle movers in that cause. So all that to say, Trust and courage. Yeah, I love that. And of course, to your point, storytelling. Yeah. You you mentioned the word trust. There's a big agency out there, Trust Barometer, like shows that nonprofits are almost like one of the least trusted groups. That's rough. And that might not be your organization listening to this. You'd be like, no, we have lots of donor trust. It's like, that's great. That's for you. But I'm saying as a sector, yeah, like trust has been eroded in the same way. I think like corporate trust and government trust has continued to go down as well on those barometers. Like these are just like, 
broad sweeping, not party dividing or whatever. It's just like generally like there's a, an erosion of trust going on in our society into institutions or big groups. And there's an increased trust quotient towards others like Tammy or Noah or your person that's highlighted on your tech stream. Like you trust them more than anything else. And I think, again, that's something we as an organization or as a sector need to understand and realize and again, change the narrative. I think there's been a big push in the last 10 years, at least that I've been aware of, for nonprofits to act more like for-profits. And there's a lot of good thoughts in that school of thought. It's like, hey, we need to really think about ourselves as like an operational thing. We're not a handout organization like begging for scraps. Like, And I totally get that. Like, We need to be strategic. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be commissioned. We need to be metrics-driven, data-driven, all of those different things. The thing that is different between your organization, hopefully, and Amazon or Target or Feather even, like we're a for-profit business, is that we are in the commerce business, you are in the collaboration business. And if you try to act like a commerce business, people are going to treat you like one. Another mic drop moment. I just think it's really important. Like there's a lot to learn from the for-profit versus non-profit and how do we infuse that and how we operate our businesses. I think that's smart. But from a go-to-market or to an engagement strategy standpoint, we have to see that the commerce playbook is not the playbook that's going to drive our organizations further, especially as the world continues to evolve, AI comes on the scene. Like, There's a lot of different challenges there. And so I think the humanization of the work we do and the importance of it is collaborative, not commerce. I absolutely love that. And I think collaborative not just with our supporter base, but collaborative with one another across the sector. Mm. I mean, I've worked with a fair amount of mega donors who want to see collaboration. They don't want to see four different organizations in the community, each individually siloed working on hunger or early childhood development. They're like, please get together and collaborate. We're stronger together. So all that to say is that we kind of have to shifts. Just like you're saying, we need to shift from really transactional or commerce into collaboration. We need to shift from scarcity into abundance. Like collaborating with one another in the sector does not mean, oh, so-and-so is going to get my donors. We really, truly are stronger together. And the data shows that when you look at major donor motivations and the personas or profiles, So many of them want to see collaboration. They want things to change, not just to continue putting Band-Aids on things, but real change to occur. And really, it's going to take all of us because these are complex problems we're working to solve in this sector. And I'm not sure that any of us can do it all by ourselves. Yeah. I think too, like, I just want to kind of zoom in even practically, because if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, these are, you know, big, hairy, audacious goals and conversations. But like, the reality is like, I have to go raise money next week. I hear you. I think, though, there's a opportunity for you to have a conversation even inside of your organization that breaks down silos, even between departments, because I've heard conversations where it's like, hey, I can't communicate to these people because that's the program's people's list. And I'm getting really practical. It's like, oh, the programs team has their own email platform and we have our own email platform on the fundraising marketing side, which is, you know, it's like marketing is all across the organization, not just in fundraising. But let's say this fundraising has theirs, programs has theirs. It's like, no, we need to keep them silent because I need to protect because I need to offer the I need to get them to buy tickets three times a month. And so I don't want them giving money to your like 
monthly giving program, whatever you guys do over there, like you go find your own people. And it's like, we're not even collaborative inside of our own organizations, whether it's related to data goals, et cetera. And I think ultimately the time we're in right now, I don't think it's different than others that we need to have courageous leaders and not just leaders at the top, but each of us seeing ourselves as we are a leader in whatever role that we have and that we need to be courageous to push the conversations that are the right conversations to be having instead of just surviving. And I understand that there's a notion where it's like, it's a lost cause. I'm like banging up against a, a brick wall in my organization. Like totally do that. Keep doing that until you find another job. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like keep doing that, but you should be looking for another job if that's true. Yeah. Again, stay in the organization. People have to make money. Totally get that. Like keep working diligently and hard. But if it's a stone wall, we're separate, we're siloed, we're doing like that organization isn't designed for long-term success and yeah. highly encourage people to take agency within reason. Again, stay in the job, make the money as long as you need to seek out other organizations that are designed to both support the success of you and ultimately the cause you're working on. Yeah. You're reminding me of Seth Godin in his most recent book, The Song of Significance, uh, which is so powerful about being a leader wherever you are in the organization, whatever your title may be. And this is your one and only precious life. So if you can't move your passion, your purpose forward in that organization, find someone like we need you to find a place where you can. Yeah. 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 And we need organizations to be a place that listens to people, to their people, 360, all the way inside and out. Right. And here's that. So Noah, I'm hearing care, confidence, connection, and a fourth one, courage. Four C's. Absolutely. So powerful. Noah, thank you. I could talk to you much longer, but I know we've been talking for a bit now. Before we let you go, at the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions to give our listeners a little bit, even more value. So are you game? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Number one, what's the best fundraising or marketing advice you've ever received? I don't know if it's going to be the best, but I think it's the most relevant right now is that what you know about your market should inform the marketing activities you do first and foremost, not the other way around. And so you have to do marketing, not ing market. And I think that's crucial to your success. Like what you understand about your community, what you know about your community is one of the most important things that's going to allow you to cultivate that connection and ultimately activate them to action. I'll give a visual to this is that we often are in our own organizations and we have goals. I need donors. I need dollars. That's just fact. And then we say, hey, come over here. I need dollars and donors. I'm recruiting dollars and donors. Instead of what you can do, which is like reality, I need dollars and donors. I'm now going to walk across the bridge. I'm going to go into the context of my community and my supporters, understand what they know about us, what we know about them and figure out which of them want to walk across the bridge with me together instead of just expecting 3% to walk over the bridge on their own. Yes. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? There's a book that's an older book called Positioning. It's like a really short book. You could probably read in the afternoon. I believe it's by Al Reese. I usually have it behind me, but it's an old book. And I think the reason I would refer people to old books, not just new books, 
is because there's timeless facts in there. And it's a book that talks about just the core aspects of positioning, how to think about why people choose you, what your point of view is, how you think about messaging and packaging your product in this case, maybe your offering. How do you think about communication? But it goes back to like core first principles of like, what does good positioning look like? And again, it's written in the 60s or 70s. I think it's still relevant today. And to me, that's a good book. Awesome. What are the three most important traits a successful fundraiser or marketing professional must possess? Specifically in nonprofits, I think you have to deeply care about the work that your organization is doing. I have not found an example of this, and I could be wrong, maybe the audience will point this out, is that someone is a successful marketing and fundraiser, especially in the nonprofit context, because that's what the audience is on, that is like, eh, I know we're working on this, but I could go work on this issue. I could go work on this. I like professional cause people that become fundraisers and marketers versus professional marketers that become nonprofit marketers. And I think that's essential. I think care for the cause yourself is really deeply important. There's also another uh, aspect of like being a good fundraiser that says, hey, if you're going to be a good fundraiser, you need to first check your relationship with money, where it's like my relationship with money is going to deeply inform how I think about raising money. And so there's a whole exercise that's well-documented. I believe it's in the Generosity Network was the book I read when I was doing fundraising and leading a development team, which is like, we got to check ourselves at the door first. And like, when we were raised up, how did my, our parents talk about money? Like, was money short? Was it not? Like, almost going through like money therapy a little bit to say like, how do I reorient myself? Because if I always think money's scarce, I'm going to embed that in how I talk to people about their money. And I'm going to come at it from my own internal bias. So I think someone who has self-awareness about money, I think, is really important to be a successful fundraiser. So care for the cause, your own kind of emotional intelligence about your relationship with money and generosity and how you even think about that. So like having a generous spirit that's been cultivated through consideration, I think, is, is deeply important. I think last but not least, I would just say this goes across maybe all positions, but I think specifically with fundraising and marketing, because we're so deeply connected with the community of supporters we're trying to collaborate with, that we have to have curiosity. And so this idea of being able to ask good questions and be genuinely interested in what the answers are, I think is really important for marketers, whether you're doing like one to many or one to few type campaigns, but especially for fundraisers, if you're doing one-on-one, -on -one, like your ability to be like contagiously curious I think is going to deeply impact your success. So maybe not the typical answers to this question, but these would be the three that I kind of share. Your care for the cause, evaluating your relationship with money and generosity yourself, and then being contagiously curious, I think is, a, is what drives success. Yeah, I love that answer. Noah, what's your favorite fundraising application or tool? And it's perfectly fine to be shameless here. So Feather, our platform, marketing platform, I think is really key. And I think it's key not because I just worked there, but I chose to work there because I saw a absence of investment in other technology companies or other technology offerings in closing the connection gap between where the community is and where your cause is. Like having a good CRM is essential and crucial. And being able to have a CRM that helps you activate that data, which is what we did at Virtuous, was critical. And I would highly recommend if you're looking for a new CRM, check out Virtuous. It's an incredible platform because it's not just to store your data. It's actually to activate your data. 
There's incredible fundraising tools where they help you capture donations, whether it's Classy or Fundraise Up or a bunch of other different ones where it's saying, hey, how do we help you create amazing giving experiences? Those are all great and essential and you need those. But at the end of the day, you also need to go connect with your community and close the connection gap between where your community is and the cause that you're working on. And that really requires good marketing. And I think Feather is invested in and continues to build a platform that enables nonprofits to do marketing. Yeah, awesome. What's your favorite conference and why? So I was a fundraiser and marketer in-house early in my career. And I always thought I had to go to non-nonprofit events to learn the best things about marketing. So I would go to like big marketing conferences or to like general marketing and kind of like business type conferences. And I would also go after resources that were more generic focus because I didn't realize that there was, and I, I don't think it's as much as it is now, there was these curated communities of nonprofit marketers that I think are growing. So I'll, I'll call out three. I know I'm cheating, but there's three conferences that I think if you're doing marketing, you don't even have to have marketing in your title, but if you are doing marketing, which is closing the gap between your community and your cause, any of those activities is marketing. There are three conferences I'd recommend. One is a, a free conference that's a digital virtual conference. It's coming up in a few months. It's called the Nonprofit Marketing Summit. And it's an incredible conference hosted by uh, my good friends, uh, Cameron, who runs Community Boost. And they've deeply invested in creating a space for marketers at nonprofits to connect and collaborate and to learn best practices. So you don't have to go to the big marketing conferences to learn marketing and then translate. This is a curated, translated conversation about nonprofit marketing. And I think they do an incredible job. I think the other two conferences, which are in person, one is called the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit, which is hosted by Next After. It's an incredible conference, curated people, really, really smart people. Like if you think you're the only one working on a problem you have, go to that conference and you'll meet like 32 other people that are working on the same challenges and like get super practical. It's very powerful. And then we've used this word a lot on this conversation already, but the word collaborative. And so that would be my last conference is hosted by Classy. They have an incredible community that's curated that really brings together both like social impact leaders, nonprofit leaders, marketers, program people, but really just kind of like people driving change. And so and it's not a massive conference. It's only, you know, maybe five to 800 people. And I feel like that's big enough to get a lot of great content, but small enough to be able to walk away with some new friends. Yeah, love that. And we'll include links to each of those conferences in the show notes. So last official question for you, Noah, knowing what you know now about fundraising and marketing, what advice would you give your younger self just getting started in the profession? Early in my career, I didn't invest as much time in connecting with people that were further along the journey than I was. And so I think the advice I would give someone starting in their career or wanting to get into nonprofits or marketing or fundraising is kind of go talk to someone five to 10 years ahead of you that you see as someone who's emulating what you would hope for and why you're entering the career and have curious conversations with them to really both learn from them about like what the path looks like, but also to validate whether you want that reality. And so this is probably just young career advice is like, if you imagine in 10 years, you're going to be doing X, Y, and Z, go find someone doing that and do whatever it takes to get conversations with them. Be bold, like reach out and be like, hey, I want to be someone like you in 10 years. Can I chat with you? Like people are, I think, more considerate when you, one, you want to hear their journey 
And two, you're doing it in a caring way of like asking for that. And so I think just going to find someone that's ahead of the journey on you, or maybe a few people just to have those curious conversations on to learn where the potholes are, where the challenges are, and even to validate, especially early on, like, hey, you're going to run into these things. Like, yeah, that's common. You know, there's silos between marketing and fundraising. That's challenging. Don't get discouraged. Stay in the profession. I think we have some more of this like mentorship idea going on. And I know a lot in the nonprofit circle is trying to invest in mentorship between maybe a furthered career and an early career, because we kind of have this mid-career gap currently in nonprofits where people enter the profession and then leave. There's a lot of ways that we can close that, but I think a practical one is through mentorship. Love it. Noah, any parting wisdom, advice, or stories that you want to share? So there's a quote I end all of my presentations that I give with, and it's a quote by Miss Frizzle. And she says, you should take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. And I think one thing that is embedded in marketing is we don't have to be right. And it's a very messy profession. And it's kind of a profession that if you don't like trying things and learning and falling on your face and getting back up and doing different things, you're not going to enjoy marketing. Because again, marketing is this like collaborative conversation with your market that you're trying to get to know and have a conversation with. And it can feel vulnerable. It can feel that. But I think if you just tap into that, and that's why I love that quote, take chances, make mistakes and get messy is my parting advice for all marketers is that's the privilege. And if we don't take that opportunity, we're missing the privilege we have as marketers. I love it. I love it. Thank you for joining us, Noah. Thank you, Tammy. If you want to learn more about Noah, Feather, or any of the other resources that we've talked about today, check out the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, and keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.